Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Nick Bernadowitz. Hello, hello. Okay, so today is going to be short, sweet, filled with information, packed with information, succinct and to the point. It's not as exciting as bourbon and... uh plastic surgery and all that fun stuff, but a uh, lot of good information for our advisors no, and this listeners. Is, this is not health, fitness, lap of luxury. This is uh, today all about Liam. And what is Liam? Life Insurance Awareness Month. That's right. The month of September is about bringing awareness to consumers, but I would also say advisors, insurance professionals, maybe people who, practitioners that aren't in the day in and day out of helping their clients, their business owners, their families plan for uh, life and being prepared for life insurance. And, you know, one of the shocking stats is only 54% of Americans had life insurance last year. So half the population is missing out on the wonderful opportunity that life insurance provides. And even that, to add on to that, of that, call it half the population, that does have it, I would say three quarters of them, I think LIMRA provides this where it's 72 or 78% of uh, life insurance owners are inadequately insured. Yeah, I w- I, you know, you would argue or think most of those are gonna be insured too. You say 54%, most are gonna be through employers. They're not gonna have private insurance that they own. So when they retire, or leave that employer? Are they going to continue to have that insurance? You know, there's various, various things to consider when you're looking at that stat. So as you said, inadequately insured, and do they have the right type of insurance within their portfolio? So this conversation in particular is, I would disclaim, uh, for those advisors or insurance professionals that are actively involved in the selling and education and working with clients in life insurance, this is probably not for you today although we are going to provide some statistics that are new, fresh, and maybe new information in terms of an update to you all. This conversation, I would say, is more meant for uh, those professionals and advisors who would like to learn a little bit more and be more educated and adequately prepared in doing life insurance planning for their clients, reviews, and helping them uh, do proper calculations and create more awareness. So uh, with that, One thing that we've learned through this pandemic, this keeps bubbling to the surface, we're still dealing with it now, is what about life? Fragile, it's delicate, right? It's important to prepare for the unexpected. We don't know what life will bring around the corner. So our hope is that Life Insurance Awareness Month brings some heightened awareness and will encourage more people to consider planning and preparing and purchasing and being adequately insured for their life, their loved ones. Cause that's really what this is all about, right? Yep. And there, and there's two reasons you get insurance during your working years, right? It's going to be your, your family protection insurance. And then in your retirement years, it's going to be your legacy and or income. And, and those are the, really the only two reasons you get insurance. Um, and now there's, you know, 
dozen subcategories in each of those. Um, but that's it's working years for protection. It's retirement years for uh, wealth transfer and or income. So for those who are looking to get extensive information, first and foremost, the insurance carrier partners that we work with and that you all work with as financial planners, insurance agents have a wonderful resources usually available, uh, not just through login sites, but also through microsites that are free access to anybody who has the domain. Uh, there's also some wonderful kind of non-carrier related, non-branded resources that exist in the marketplace. Limra, is, so limra.com would be a great place to go. Lifehappens.org is another resource. There's a number again, so retirestronger.com. There, there's so many areas that you can go to on the internet to gain really, really good, timely information, consumer facing content, not just physical materials, but also videos, uh, everything you need to know about Insurance 101, all the Q&As of life insurance and owning life insurance. Uh, so a lot of this information that, that we're going to be discussing is just a source of those uh, that I just mentioned. Now, <clears throat> uh, let's throw out some foundational statistics here. So again, from some of these sites, 78% of Americans agree that financially preparing for life's unknowns is a way to show your loved ones you care about them. I would say most people believe that having life insurance for an untimely or unexpected passing is extremely important to protect the ones you love. Um, even, even people with net worth, um, you know, higher net worth, believe in in passing assets efficiently to their heirs and protecting um, not even getting into estate taxes and things like that just just general wealth transfer to heirs and um, you know when you're saying 78 percent I, I I would think even higher or are, are, are thinking life insurance brings value to them and their family. Absolutely. And two things. So continuing on that pandemic. So this is a recent study done by Limra as well in 2020. Six in 10 Americans say that they have a more heightened awareness of life insurance and the need to be properly insured because of COVID and the pandemic. Adding on to that, peace of mind, comfort, right? 69% of consumers who own life insurance say that they're less stressed they sleep a little bit better at night because they know that if something were to happen to them, if I'm the income earner, I'm the breadwinner for my family, and I were no longer to be here, that I <clears throat> feel a little bit better about the future of my wife and my kids and my family going forward. Yeah, and and you know, let's go go even deeper into the basics, right? Where where is basic life insurance for most people? What, what is that type of insurance? And it's term life insurance, right? A term life insurance where it, you have coverage for a set duration of time that is pennies on the dollar to cover major debts and or college and or, right, setting your family up for income replacement, whatever that is. And it could be a 10, 20, 30, even 40 on younger ages uh, duration. Um, that costs nothing. Very little. So let's Very talk little. a little bit about that. The, 
taking a step back, what are the different types of life insurance that are available today? You just touched on term life insurance. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper on that in just a moment. Then you have various forms of permanent insurance. Those would include? UL, what's called universal life insurance, okay. which is just a permanent death benefit life insurance product. And universal life insurance comes in different forms, shapes, sizes, colors, if you will. Correct. There's some where interest is tied to an index like the S&P, more potential for cash value of life insurance. There's some that are just on a fixed interest rate. There's some that are based on individual life. There's some that are based on two lives. So a death benefit is not paid until both insured individuals pass away. Correct. Uh, and so how I define those, you have universal life insurance. You have category A is permanent death benefit. So think of it as term insurance that's guaranteed for your entire life. And you can specify age 90, 100, 120, whatever that specific age is. No cash value. It's just permanent term. That's all that is. And then category B of universal life insurance is going to be your cash value life insurance, as you just said, various types. And, and it really comes down to, as we said, the two, you know, during working years and or retirement years, what is the goal? What is the, the, the portfolio makeup, the client makeup, and what we're trying to accomplish? Um, and then from there, so we have our term, we have our universal life and the various forms of universal life. And then you go into your variable. And your variable insurance is going to be a cash value life insurance plan tied to direct investments with various um, investment options underneath it. And, but it's still insurance, life insurance at its core. Um, you have the tax-free death benefit. You have the ability to earn um, cash value and interest within the policy, but you're buying it for life insurance. It cannot be, it cannot be viewed as an equity alternative. It needs to be viewed as life insurance and cash value life insurance at that. Um, and then your last type is, is what we hear all the time, whole life insurance. Nick, I want whole life insurance for my client. Well, do you really want whole life insurance or do you just want a permanent life insurance policy, right? Um, so that's, that's a big distinguishing factor we got to do right out the gates. But whole life is its own category, separate of all those. Um, it is a permanent death benefit, cash value life insurance plan tied to dividends of the insurance company. And it's paying you interest based on those dividends um, coming out. And it, in terms of guarantees and growth and, and efficiency of cash value growth, whole life is going to be one of your most efficient policies possible or available today. However, it's also one of the most expensive because of that, because of the guarantees that are built into that contract. But once again, it, it goes back to makeup of client, client situation, right? And, and what we're trying to accomplish with the insurance. Okay. So going back to term, that's great. A, a great summation and summary of just the basic type of insurance. But going back to younger individuals, the initial, I would say the, 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 the first reason why people get life insurance is not for some of these ancillary benefits that we'll get into in a moment. It is for income debt replacement to protect my family against my premature death, right? Yeah, most people buy term when two things happen. One, they buy a house. Two, they have a kid. Those are the reasons most people are like, okay, got to get my act together. We got to think about protecting against this. 
Um, so yes, it's that debt replacement. You buy, you know, a, a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage on your house. That's the first thing you're thinking about insuring. What happens if I pass away? Can I, you know, leave my wife or my spouse five hundred thousand to pay off the loan? Yeah, and technology certainly helping with what I'm about to say uh, in terms of ease and access of this information. But I still find this staggering that 50% of people overestimate the cost of insurance. They just think it's too expensive. They think, why, why bother? I can't afford it. Uh, and so let's put some numbers to this. And these aren't the you know radio advertising numbers <laughs> where it's you know the super preferred rating of, of a smaller amount. I mean, these are meaningful amounts. So what we did is you ran some, some numbers, right? For a million dollar death benefit of a 20 year term. And then you broke it down by 30, 40 and 50 year old males. Males. Correct. Okay. Which is going to be more expensive than a female because shorter life expectancy, women outlive men plus men tend to be a little riskier, let's say that and do dumb things. So, um, so there's a premium on insurance cost. Typically speaking, when you're on a date with your wife, what do you spend for that dinner? $200. Whoa. Well, buying a bottle of wine. Okay. Come on. You got to, there's always a bottle of wine and dinner. Okay. So, okay. So with tip, $200. Right. Okay. That's pretty average. I'm going to say $150. Okay. Is maybe your your average date night uh, by just maybe getting a cocktail, not buying a bottle okay. of wine. Fair. Okay. So for... Uh, well, tell us the numbers, 30, 30, 40, and 50, 20 year term, $1 million in death benefit. Yeah. So 30 year old, it's $42 a month. $42 a month. Yep. That's your one. That's two cocktails for your dinner that you just said. With tax and tip. With tax and tip. Correct. Um, Is there any excuse? Correct. Buying some form of insurance. And you're talking about a million dollars of coverage, right? That, for a lot of people, that's probably more than they need. Um, you know, in Orange County, a little different story in, in certain areas, right? High income states, high cost states. But for most, that's, that's a lot of coverage for $42 a month. And it's proportionate. Cut it in half and you're talking $21 a month for $500,000. So that is accurate. Um, move up 10 years later, you're now 40. It only jumps to $64 a month for the same million dollar coverage. So that's Premium is fully guaranteed at $64.75 a month or $64 a month for a 20-year period. So I can have a million-dollar death benefit all the way through age 60. Correct. And and I would argue most people, when they get term, they're covering it until retirement years, right? They're, they're covering their income replacement. So if they were to pass away, their spouse, surviving spouse, has income replacement, it, it covers all their debts. It makes sure their kids can go to college, right? It covers all those various uh, family protection needs. Yeah, it's phase and one of coverage. It's phase one of coverage right. through retirement. Mm -hmm. um, so as we just said, you're 40 to age 60, that's pretty darn close. Now we could dial it all the way in. You can do a 25-year term exactly to age 65 or whatever the planning need is. Um, but now going to a 50-year-old. So now we could have coverage all the way to age 70. Um, so 50 year old, 20 year term, $160 a month. It gets significantly more expensive. So the numbers are the average premium for a male rises 258% between ages 25 and 50. 
and this is just term insurance. Well, I guess it would be all insurance. All although, insurance. although you know, uh, higher dollar amounts, it's, it gets significantly more expensive for permanent coverage. Uh, so, moving on from term and, and talking a little bit about the different types of of permanent insurance solutions, not just death benefit, but there's a number of other uh, benefits that cash value life insurance can provide, whether that be universal life or whole life, uh, funding college, funding retirement, you know, doing some retirement planning, uh, of course, leaving a legacy through estate planning, not just mortgage protection and income or debt replacement, and, and maybe making a generational gift to uh, charities, charitable interests and things of that nature, right? So let's talk a little bit about the cash value of insurance and some unique features, uh, things that you're working with advisors, uh, professionals on day in, day out as it relates to retirement income. Yeah. So let's just go down the list of what you said of just some of the keys, because there's there's many other, you know, on top of what you listed, but funding retirement. So a cash value life insurance plan can accumulate cash over time. It's not a short term uh, you know, get rich quick kind of plan. That's not what it's designed to do. It's designed to be a, a retirement uh, vehicle. Um, now, is it the end all be all? No, it is a part of the entire puzzle or the entire pie, right? It, it, it's there to help fund the retirement through cash value. Now, what's, what's, the, what's the main advantage of cash value life insurance? Main advantage, one, if you're using index UL whole life it's, it's contractually guaranteed, principal protected product, right? Two, you can borrow against the insurance, meaning borrow against the cash value tax-free uh, in the future. So it's creating your own bank, essentially, where you can go borrow money from yourself and pay it back through the interest the policy is earning fully tax-free. Um, so it's a, a really unique scenario where you can accumulate cash over... 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and then access that cash tax-free in retirement. So we look at it as even a potential Roth alternative because the money's going in, comes out tax-free just like a Roth would. What about withdrawals on life insurance? How is that treated? FIFO, first in, first out. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> so the, the premiums you're putting in the policy so I'm going to put $20,000 a year of premium into a policy. Okay. For 10 years. 10 years. $200,000 I've paid into this policy over that 10-year period. Okay. So those are your premiums going into the policy before any interest earned. That's 15 called- 15 years later, the cash value inside the policy is worth 350000 Perfect. The first 200000 that come out of that contract is going to be- returning of your basis, your cost basis, meaning your premiums, your own dollars you put into the policy, come back to you tax-free. Okay. Then you pay taxes on the gains within the contract if you're withdrawing the funds. You're fully pulling them out of the contract, not loaning against it. Um, so even that, it's still tax advantageous because it's a return of your premiums first, uh, whereas annuities are flipped opposite where your basis doesn't come back to you till the interest comes out. Okay. <clears throat> That's perfect for cash value. So cash value life insurance could be for first in, first out, meaning all of my basis comes out first, then only additional withdrawals beyond that, which would be considered gain, is going to be taxes ordinary income. However, the additional feature that you first described is the ability to take loans against cash value, 
which a loan is not income, therefore it is not taxable. So if properly structured, one of the main advantages of life insurance is that it can create tax-free income for higher income earners or income planning in retirement. This can become a very viable and valuable income planning tool uh, that serves the needs of many. Certainly as we sit here today with the current tax situation, spending is out of control, what does the future hold? That's the crystal ball everybody would like to know the answer to. 100%, 100%. Okay, now life insurance innovation has uh, occurred Let's use that. What I mean by that is we now have ancillary benefits or riders at feet or features that have been made available to consumers for life insurance that they might not be aware of or advisors uh, certainly not, not aware of. These would include things like long-term care and disability riders. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So with life insurance, the innovation has really made it trying to be the Swiss army knife with within clients, right? Because clients are going out and they're buying long-term care insurance. Clients are going out, they're buying disability policies and they're buying insurance. So insurance companies have, have come out with products that try to incorporate all of that or some of that, right? And, and piece it together to try to meet the needs of consumers and boomers and everybody that, that has a desire. So Basically, it's this everything we've talked about thus far, and they tack on a rider, right? An aftermarket part to the policy that provides value. Um, and if you're looking at long-term care insurance, it might be a, a, it, an acceleration of the death benefit. So if you have a million-dollar death benefit, you can have a million dollars of long-term care coverage, usually paid out over 50 months, four years. Um, and it's, it's a true long-term care rider. Um, a disability policy would be similar, um, but it's going to be at a much more reduced number. It's normally not equal to the face. It's normally 25% of the face, the face meaning the death benefit amount. Um, so in a million, you would have 250000 of uh, DI coverage. Um, without getting into the nitty gritty of how those inner workings and the different types um, on, on the surface, that's generic. And they can be added to most. In California, it's a little more restrictive. As we know, products here are a little tougher to get approved and it takes longer process. But we have options and we have options on, on you know, GULs, Guaranteed Universal Life, ULs, Index ULs, VULs, Whole Life, all of those type of policies can have these additional features. So I don't want to get too into the weeds in this, but as it relates to long-term care and disability, you know, it is important, I think, to mention that there's a couple different IRS features, if you are codes. Correct. And, and 7702B versus 101G. Again, I don't want to go into the weeds yeah. on that, but uh, as, simple, as simple as we can say it, a, a 101G writer also known as an accelerated death benefit rider or chronic illness rider, is not long-term care insurance. It cannot be sold as long-term care insurance. And if it is, it's actually negligence on part of the advisor um, and, and can get them in trouble. It says right on the brochure, it says right on the illustration, this is not long-term care. Simply put, each and every carrier, each and every policy designs their 101G, Accelerate Death Benefit Riders, how they want it. And the, the qualifications to access those benefits within those policies are based on the carrier's requirements. Usually very restrictive, 
usually very um, very individual to the carrier. So an example, cannot perform two of six activities of daily living for a period of at least 90 consecutive days with a condition deemed as permanent. Very, very specific, right? Going down to this funnel of what you're actually going to get out of the policy. So that's a one-on-one G rider, not long-term care insurance, simply put. 7702B is long-term care insurance. Traditional long-term care insurance is that tax code, as well as any rider that's a 7702B. That is set in stone what the qualifications are. Two of six activities of daily living as deemed by a medical professional, simply. Or, or cognitive or impairment. Or cognitive impairment. It's, it, it's, it is true long-term care and it can be sold as long-term care because it is defined as long-term care within the code. And it, it, there is no variation of it. And, and it, it's a big deal to know the difference between those and two. And benefits under 7702B under current federal code uh, pays those benefits tax-free, whereas 101G may, may not be. It's not, it's not crystal clear. It's not crystal clear. Uh, furthermore, the premiums going into the 7702B rider, there is a cost for that rider, or even a 7702B long life and long-term care policy are potentially tax-deductible as well because they are tax-qualified long-term care plans, whereas 101G does not count. Um, and, and many people that are up in Washington right now dealing with that are, are learning this the hard way. They thought they had long-term care insurance and they're not opting out of the program with their 101G riders. Um, so it, it, very, very important to know the difference. So two additional points that I wanted to cover and then we'll wrap this up is one, you know, I'm a consumer, I'm an agent, I'm an advisor thinking, okay, well, I get it. How do I properly calculate the need for my clients uh, to make sure that they're properly insured for life insurance. They say they have enough. How do I adequately go through a process that says, yes, you do or no, you probably need a little bit more. There's a life insurance needs worksheet that's available anywhere on the internet. Again, some of these other resources that I mentioned like lifehappens.org has those calculators online. We, uh, for any of the listeners here, have this worksheet available and it's very simple. Starting at the highest level, first of all, we need to calculate the income. Then we need to take uh, a look at expenses. And then third is looking at assets. So first, income. Total annual income for your family you need if you were to pass away today. Typically, giving some guardrails and some frame of reference around this, it's typically between 60 and 75% of the total income. Why is that? loss of a spouse, maybe a little bit less income is needed. Hopefully there's some assets that offset. Of course, you can adjust that based on life expectancy, how young or old you are, this kind of a thing. Number two is annual income your family would receive from other sources. Do you have passive income? Do you have other assets? Do you have real estate? What other income sources will you have that we can use to kind of offset the need? Uh, is there any income to be replaced? And then, of course, the capital needed for income. How much money do I need to generate the passive income so that we can support our lifestyle, take care of the kids? What about expenses? Can you touch on those? Yeah, with the various expenses, you, you, want, you want to ensure that your debts are covered first. So you're going to have things like mortgage and other outstanding debts that 
that need to be for sure included. The biggest debts. The biggest debts. Yep. Uh, your funeral and other fi- final expense items, those are going to be smaller, but th- those are an expense that will be needed. Um, and then for each kid, college, um, you want to ensure each of those children are set up for college. So debts would include not just more, that's the obvious one, yep. but any other debts. Do we have auto loans? Do we have uh, any type of vehicle or other debts that we would want to offset or eliminate if one of us were to pass? Vehicles, credit cards, vacation homes, timeshares. Now, now, what about if I have kids and planning for college? Yeah. Calculate the capital need for college. So there's basic formulas for that, right? The average four-year cost of a college ranges anywhere between 150 to uh, from a private down to 70,000 for public. Now, we're not offsetting for scholarships or any of these types of thing or junior college, but that gives you again a framework. And then you do some kind of net present value calculation working back on how old your kids are, when they're going to go to college, and you simply add up how many kids you have. If you wanted to fully cover the need for college, yeah, and, and what we're always telling people is we go through these needs analysis worksheets, and, th- and this is for more often than not basic term is what we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean once we get to the bottom, it's going to give us a number, and it, that has to be the insurance number, right? It's going to give us a good measure of where we probably should be, and then a portion of that is what we can insure what we feel comfortable mm-hmm. going from zero to a hundred percent might not be the answer, but going from zero to 75% might be the answer. Yeah. What we're trying to, to enlighten and, and if we want to avoid is just picking a round number. Cause it sounds good. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me how much $500,000 of coverage means, or tell me how much a million dollars. Let's do some basic calculation. Let's have a conversation and we can uh, adjust this as needed working with the consumer, right? And then, of course, the last step in that is is adjusting for o- or offsetting for assets. What assets do you have that will be used uh, for your family, for your kids? This would be savings, retirement funds, any other investment accounts. Is there real estate that we can liquidate? Because that reduces the need for insurance. So those are really your working years f- formula or calculation for how much insurance somebody would quote unquote need. Then it transitions into your later working years where it becomes a pivotal point of more about a legacy, alternative needs like we talked about, long-term care, disability potentially, at least if I'm in my, you know, final working years. um, And then it switches pretty much fully to long-term care. And then, of course, an estate planning conversation. Do I need uh, some life insurance to help offset taxes uh, that that the government is going to step in and that's the liquidity event. Yeah, I think we would both agree that pretty much everybody during their working years should have insurance to cover this need, right? That, and I think most people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Most advisors would agree with that. Then transitioning to what you just said on the Part B conversation of long-term care, um, wealth transfer, or some of these more advanced strategies That's when it's more an education process on the advisor, one, understanding where insurance fits within the retirement plan. And and, and once that advisor understands where it fits, then it's the advisor understanding how to present it 
to the client. Because some of the strategies, as you were saying, estate taxes and these type things, it starts getting complicated. And so a lot of advisors shy away from it because they don't feel like they're the expert. And so they don't dive in to position it, even though they should. Charitable gifting, right? Um, these type of insurance solutions are very important for higher net worth individuals. And if an advisor isn't comfortable with the topic, doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it because their client probably is seeking it elsewhere. So it's really the advisor getting comfortable with understanding who their resource is to reach out to, which obviously we would say it's us, but an advisor first and foremost needs to start educating themselves, becoming the student of where these solutions fit, and then relying on a firm like ours to really help them position those solutions. And we can be that excerpt for them. So what are one or two, I'm, I'm an agent, I'm an advisor looking forward to embracing this. What are some of the first steps that I can take? One or two? Well, it, it depends on their education level. Well, the <laughs> first one I would say is apply the respectful amount of time, make it a priority in your client meetings. So if you're conducting annual reviews, don't make it just one of the five minute or two minute questionnaires uh, of do you have life insurance yes i mean take the respect and time that it deserves to identify your clients offer this service to your clients to do and conduct a full life insurance review of not just their individual insurance but their group insurance all too often we find consumers think they're adequately insured through their employer through group provided coverage and there's uh, there's specific limits on that. It's rarely ever enough insurance. Usually you have the issue of it not being portable, meaning if they leave that job or retire, it doesn't go with them. So they really don't have any insurance beyond their working years or their profession. So that's one element of it. The other one is uh, all too often people think they bought their insurance yesterday <laughs> and come to find out it was you know, 15, 12, 15 years ago and it's a 15 or 20 year term. So regularly reviewing policies with a professional is critically important. As the advisor, you should engage in a specific process that is very available to you. We certainly have all the information and resources that can help you adequately be, to your point, Nick, educated, to feel comfortable and equipped to have a meaningful conversation with your clients. Yeah, the biggest thing you said within that statement is advisors first and foremost need to implement a process. A process for one, new clients and new discussions on life insurance, right? You're, you're, you're di discovering how much insurance this person needs and are there strategies that – and the other one is reviewing enforced insurance that's already in place. It's implement the process, find the prospects in each one of those categories. Yeah, and I would say if I'm truly a comprehensive holistic financial planner, I have an insurance meeting with my clients. Bring to the table all of your insurance. Let's review it. Auto, home, health, life, disability, LTC. What insurance do you have? What kind of premiums are you paying? When was this ever reviewed? 
who has given you any guidance on this? You know, there's a number of just natural, logical questions that can be had in offering an insurance review. And, and of course, yes, life insurance is probably a critical part of that, certainly as people are aging and moving on through their peak earning years and into retirement. It's critical. It's critical. And, and as I said earlier, many advisors won't, won't do it because they don't feel like they're equipped to have the conversation. Um, and it's as simple as just asking asking them to come in to do the review. And, you know, I regularly, and I know you as well, um, get statements from our advisors and say, hey, can you review this? Mm -hmm. What what do they have? What can we recommend? A lot of times it's, we're not recommending anything. Here's what they have. It's a good solution. Maybe in five years, they're going to convert it. They're going to make an adjustment. They're going to do something to it. Or maybe there is a replacement opportunity. And or they need more insurance. So it really just comes asking the question, doing the review within that process, and then relying on us as your experts to help plan. And we're part of your team. We're not we're not in a silo. We're part of your team on that planning discussion. Be intentional. Apply to it the time that it deserves. September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. Why not start now? Now's the perfect time. Clients are going to be hearing about it on TV, on, on the internet. Now's the time. Signing off. Bye-bye.